Hello and welcome back to the Full Cast and Crew podcast. I'm your host, Jason Silo. And you know what? I don't know about you, but I didn't get enough Jackie Brown last week. So I've got a follow-up episode akin to a couple others that I've done in the past. I did 22 glimpses of Jeff Spicoli as a follow-up to Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I think I did 40 glimpses of Paul Newman in The Verdict after a great episode about The Verdict with my guest, Keir Graff. And today, because this touches and ticks all the boxes of my cinematic interests, after doing Jackie Brown and singing the praises, rightfully so, of the wonderful performances by Pam Greer, Samuel Jackson, Robert Forrester. <laughs> that was, if in case you wondered what it sounded like when my brain stops working and reaches for a name that should be front and center and I can't find it, that's what it sounds like. Bridget Fonda, on and on. I didn't get enough opportunity to talk Michael Keaton. So today I'm doing an episode that's about all of Michael Keaton's scenes as Ray Nicolette across two films. We've talked about in the past, we did Out of Sight, probably mentioned it briefly when we did that film. I believe Chris and I did it. But Michael Keaton appears in both Jackie Brown and Out of Sight as the same character, which is brilliant. And I wanted to just do an episode that runs through all of his episodes in Jackie Brown, and really, he has one big scene in Out of Sight and another reference scene, which is important to the character. So we're going to talk about that when we get there. But first off, to start us off on the right foot, I want to start where I left off with a little Bobby Womack across 110th Street. <laughs> Indeed, I've got one more thing I'd like to talk to you all about right now. Well, that was embarrassing, but okay, you get the gist. So Keaton, I mean, I'm a huge Michael Keaton fan. There's, there's something about the opportunity to contemplate Keaton as an actor. You know, he's interesting in so many ways. He's different. He's He's truly unique as a performer because, as we're going to see in really what's his first feature film role, which I just watched two nights ago, he's got range, man. He's got a lot of range as an actor. He's been in the business a long time. He's 71 years old right now. And he's had, you know, a career that goes back to 1982. That's when he co-starred in Night Shift, which I believe is Ron Howard's first feature film directing job, starring Henry Winkler, obviously his co-star from Happy Days, and Michael Keaton. And what a movie to make your feature film debut in as an actor. Because, <laughs> I mean, the character of Bill Blazajowski is is a gift from the screenwriters um, Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandel, who, you know, at the, at the time 
I believe it's their first feature film script as well. I think they wrote a few TV movies as Ron Howard had directed several TV movies. But through the 80s and the 90s, uh, they had a run of movies of kind of mainstream comedies, starting with Night Shift, Splash, in which they were Oscar nominated for Best Original Screenplay, Spies Like Us, Gung Ho, another Michael Keaton, Ron Howard pair up, which is a story of a takeover of an American car plant by a Japanese corporation, Vibes, um, Parenthood, City Slickers, Mr. Saturday Night, a bizarre film, A League of Their Own, uh, kind of from there, there's other credits, but those are really, that's the, that's the, those are the main films. You know the vibe I'm talking about. And Night Shift has one of the greatest character introductory scenes you're ever going to see. Here's Keaton's intro to the entire movie. And of course, the premise of Night Shift is one of those things that just is of a kind with risky business. When in the 80s, like prostitution was a plot device and running a harem of prostitutes as otherwise you know, gainfully employed uh, middle-class white men was sort of an object for comedic and or serious scripting. This is the other film like that, Night Shift and Risky Business. So, of course, the brilliant setup of Night Shift is that Henry Winkler and Michael Keaton work at the New York City morgue on the Night Shift and through a series of happenstance meet-cutes, Henry Winkler befriends Shelley Long, who, by the way, is excellent in this movie and reminds me from watching her performance. She is one of the top tier caliber actors that we have in the business. And it's easy sometimes to remember that sometimes these that actors who gain fame in iconic sitcom roles, okay, as she did on Cheers, it's easy to forget that sometimes some of the very best actors fall into those types of roles for, you know, 10 or 12 season runs or whatever it ends up being. And it's easy to forget that before that, during that and after that, they're incredibly capable of a wide range of roles. And she's brilliant in this. And never once do you disbelieve that she's working as a prostitute, yet at the same time, she avoids all the pitfalls and the traps of kind of that thankless role of the Hooker with a heart of gold. She's funny. She's real. She's great with Henry Winkler, who's also fantastic and is another example of what I'm talking about. You know, Henry Winkler, Henry Winkler is a trained Yale dramat actor. And you damn well hit a home run when you become the Fonz. I mean, you can say all you want. You want to be, you know, De Niro. But I mean, at the end of the day, is De Niro sort of choosing to work all the time as he does now in projects that are not Raging Bull, Goodfellas, things that really don't come along every year in an actor's life. You know, it's a profession. He likes to do it. He makes a lot of money. He's still at the top of his game. He's doing it. So anyway, Night Shift was really fun to watch, and I recommend it. It's a great slice of 80s-ness, and it's actually so much better than it really has any right to be even then it has this completely, frankly, ridiculous premise. So, of course, it's an odd couple setup. 
where you have the fastidious, uptight Henry Winkler. And then you have Keaton, who's just this manic ball of energy. Here's how he comes in and introduces himself to his new overnight partner. Henry, Henry Winkler sitting at his desk reading the newspaper after sharpening his pencils. Hi. How you doing? I'm Bill Blazjowski. You call me Billy Blaze. You must be Chuck, right? Nice shoes. Hey, this is all right. Guess this is where I'm going to be working. I'm your new partner. Swish! Ah, they're going crazy in the arena. They can't believe it. It's unbelievable. This is great. What's our job? We'd like drive around, pick up stiffs or what? Is that what we're supposed to do? Hey, Chuck, who's this? Wife. Uh, fiance. Oh. Nice frame. Yeah, okay. You can make. Okay, nice shoes, nice frame, insults, observations couched in this manic persona, which, you know, Keaton would trade on throughout his career in various roles, but still likable, you know, not a jerk. And that's the underlying kind of decency that I think makes a Keaton performance tick sometimes is he never loses the real human side of the character. We can read coffee. This is great. I like it. You wonder why I carry this tape recorder? It's to tape things. See? I'm an idea man, Chuck. All right? I get ideas all day long. I can't control them. It's like they come charging in. I, I can't even fight them if I wanted to, you know? Ah, so I say I'm in here, and that way I never forget them. See what I'm saying? Okay, here's an example. Watch out. Stand back. This is Bill. Idea to eliminate garbage. Edible paper. See? Eat it. It's gone. Eat it. It's out of there. No garbage. Got everything in here. Business ideas, inventions, musicals. I wrote a couple musicals in here. Would you like Words. to see the rest of the office? <laughs> yeah. Hey, you want Snickers? No, thank you. So, I mean, it's just all there in their very first feature film performance. Like, all of this talent and all of this sentimentality is what I is what I connect to. Like, now, part of this is watching the whole movie and you realize that his idea man thing, you know, masks an underlying kind of seriousness and, and kind of depression that comes from hurt in his life. And it's one of the great, aspects of this film that it treats the Henry Winkler, Shelley Long romance as seriously as it does. It doesn't shy away from the difficulty of these two getting together. And also the movie doesn't shy away from giving this, this Blaze Ajowski character a moment like this, which is completely 180 degrees from what you just saw. This is after they're at the Christmas party. And... They're sitting around in their cups. Okay, there you go, Joe. Okay, baby. Okay, Pete. <laughs> so, my father told me that I'd never amount to anything, right? No, fathers get that way. Yeah, oh yeah, well, he told me that when I was four. 
Oh. I'm serious. <laughs> I know. Then when I was 13, he uh, left. He's out of there. He's gone. History, right? Told me and my mom we were uh, too ugly to look at. In my case, he was wrong. Oh, Bill. No, I mean, my mom. Well, she. My mom used to be real pretty. You live with a lunatic and does things to you. I mean, that's a really touchingly rendered scene, which Ron Howard doesn't laden with this heart tugging music. It's allowed to play as an acting scene between Shelley Long and Michael Keaton. And he's fantastic. His pauses, the way at the end where he's, you know, the characters established that he talks into this tape recorder all the time to record all his brilliant ideas. He goes to say something and he stops with emotion. And then when he speaks again, he's still choked with emotion. He says, call, call your mom, wish her a Merry Christmas. You know, it's a great moment. And this actor is capable of that type of dramatic stuff, even as he's capable of being the manic character that we loved so much in films like Mr. Mom or Beetlejuice. But, you know, Keaton's dramatic work is what really gets me going. So Keaton in Spotlight, uh, Keaton in Birdman, you know, Keaton, as I said many times on the pod, in the film Clean and Sober, it's a dream of mine to one day surprise you by just having an episode where I'm going to talk about the film Clean and Sober and Michael Keaton is my guest, you know, and I'm not going to like fawn and publicize and do all this stuff. I'm just going to do it kind of like his character in Jackie Brown, and Out of Sight. So let's transition to that. Now, in the book Rum Punch, which Jackie Brown is based on, as we talked about in the Jackie Brown episode, you have this much more fleshed out situation between Ray Nicolette and his partner, who has a different name than uh, Dargis in the movie. Dargis is a much better name for the character, actually. I'm not sure why they changed it. Also, I'm not sure why. In the book, it's Nicolette, N-I-C-O-L-E-T. And in Jackie Brown and in Out of Sight, it's Nicolette with E and two T's and an E. Not sure why. I haven't read an explanation for that. Maybe it's something to do because it's a different character. I don't know. I'm not sure. But anyway, in the book Rum Punch, the Nicolette character and the uh, LAPD partner character are like the other characters, given more room to sort of be explained to us as a reader. And their venality is allowed a little bit more room to exist. There's talk in Rum Punch about them cheating on their wives or girlfriends. There's talk about um, kind of Nicolette leading that charge, women being attracted to him, him playing off that charm that he knows that he has, the cowboy aspect of being a cop. A lot of that stuff got synthesized down into the Max Cherry line that Robert Forster delivers, which is like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think he's a young guy having fun being a cop. I know the type. You know, there's a whole thing where she's talking to 
Max Cherry about she thinks there's a chance that Ray Nicolette might take some of the money. And indeed, in the car before they do the dry run, as you'll see, they have this conversation about that. And that's a great kind of a moment. So I wanted to just go through some of the great scenes that Michael Keaton has as Ray Nicolette in Jackie Brown. And of course, it starts when they put the finger on her in the parking lot of the Los Angeles International Airport. And Ms. Brown. this good cop, bad cop routine. Hi, I'm Detective Mark Dargis, LAPD. Can I ask what you have in that bag? The usual stuff. You know, I'm a flight attendant for Cabo Air. Can I uh, help out here? And I just love this entry. Can I uh, help out here as if he just happens to be hanging around the parking garage? You know, it's a game they're running. It's like the fun of their lives is like they talked about this. And it's almost kind of like they don't really even view Jackie as a real person with real problems. They're just viewing her as a step in their investigation. Who's this? Sorry, this is Special Agent Ray Nicolette with alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. Oh, really? May I see some ID? Yeah, sure. Would you mind if we just took a look in that bag? Do I mind? Do I have a choice? You have the right to say no. No. And I have the right to make you wait here with Ray while I go get a warrant. If I don't want to go to all that trouble, I'll just take you in on suspicion He's right smiling. Now. He's kind of, he's reacting. He's listening. And I think what makes Keaton so great is he's such a great listener. I mean, his active listening, as we've talked about in the pod before, is so great in scenes like this. Like, his line deliveries are great. His Keatonisms are great. We love all that. But when you watch the film again, if you watch it again, watch when he's listening. Watch when he's absorbing some information. I think that's the stuff that gets me excited as a fan of acting. Suspicion of what? Uh, can I say something? He just wants to peek inside the bag for a minute. I'll keep my eye on him so he doesn't take anything. And there's sort of the specious oh, yeah. charm. Thanks a lot. Bad knees. And there's more coming here. You have a good flight? It's a shitty flight down to Cabo. I went down there one time with Susan. My wife, fucking turbulence was unbelievable. Hey, can I look in this envelope? Yeah. Again, the real money used for these <laughs> scenes. Damn. I'd say there's about, oh, uh, $50,000 here. What would you say, Ray? Looks like about 50000 from here. Now Ray's getting serious. He's eyeing her from the side. The camera angle has changed. And of course, they know it's 50000 because remember, they picked up Beaumont and got all the information from Beaumont before Samuel bailed Beaumont out and ended his life. So this is, Jackie's just a stepping stone. Is this your money? What if I say no? Well, you should know if you bring in anything over 10,000, you have to declare it. You forget or what? I love the way he says, you forget or what? That's not a Keaton line. Uh, that's a Mark, what's his name? Mark Bowen? I should know this guy's name. I've been, I've been. <sighs> you guys don't know how hard it is to have my brain and what I did to it over my misspent youth because... I would love to. Michael Bowen as Mark Dargis, great unsung supporting player and so perfectly cast with his mustache and his hair. You know, he's the opposite of 
Ray Nicolette, who's got the leather jackets and the motorcycles and the shades. Like, this is the yin and yang of the law enforcement component of the film. You could get a $250,000 fine plus two years in prison. Now, you want to talk to us about this, or do you want to talk to Customs? I'm not saying another word. Jackie, I hope you don't mind if I call you Jackie. Those guys down in Customs, they're a bunch of fucking pricks. Excuse me, but they are. I don't know, something about that job just makes those people really hard to get along with. Now, you can go down and you can... Now, that, that breath... <laughs> Listen to this breath again. Those guys down in Customs, they're a bunch of fucking pricks. Excuse me, but they are. I don't know, something about that job just makes those people really hard to get along with. Now, you can go down... I just think that's so great. Um, it's a practiced spiel... But I think that I think it's so subtle what Keaton's doing. I think he's playing this on the surface level, but he's also playing the part of Ray Nicolette that the actor Michael Keaton knows is kind of a pompous jerk and a little too overconfident. Now, I, sometimes I feel like I'm reading into these things, but I think that's seriously the two-dimensional acting performance that he's delivering and you can talk with those guys who are really suspicious and just really disagreeable human beings or you can talk with a couple of good-hearted guys like mark and myself and then you know to you. that's the that's the screws they're putting and then so let's take a look here at the file we're in the Jack office which is his second scene according to this this isn't the first time that you've run afoul of the law 1985, while a stewardess for Delta, you were busted while carrying drugs for a pilot? The pilot was my husband and I got off. You mean they offered you a deal and you grabbed it? He did time, you did probation. Now, what I love about this scene is it's a really well-calibrated scene because the power shifts a few times during the course of this scene. Now, of course, they're running a bad cop, good cop act on Jackie, which is the oldest one in the book. Dargis is the bad cop, and Ray Nicolette is the good cop. Although, in reality, as you will soon see, it's not natural for Dargis to be the bad cop. You know, he's not really good at it. Because, as he just said, his wife, Susan, they went to Mexico. Like, he's more this family guy in real life. And they get into this more in the book than they do in the movie. But they do play it, as you'll see in this scene, when Jackie kind of calls his bullshit and he has no answers. He's visibly deflated. But it's interesting to listen to how the dynamic shifts among the actors and what's going on in the scene. So right now, you know, they're putting the screws to her. They think they've got her cold. Uh, but they're going to find out that Jackie's made of stronger stuff. In here, yes. Permission to smoke in my office. May I smoke? No, you may not. So you get off with a slap on the wrist, but all this criminal activity fucks up your shit for good with the big airlines. Cut to 13 years later, you're 44 years of age, you're flying for the shittiest little shuttle fucking piece of shit Mexican airline that there is. Well, you make what, $13,000 a year? I make $16,000 plus benefits. You've been in the service industry 19 years and all you make is $16,000 plus benefits? Didn't exactly set the world on fire, did you, Jackie? <laughs> now, that's the first time we see Dargis in this scene. All the previous dialogue was off camera. But when it cuts to him here, he's cocky, he's overconfident, he's laughing at his own joke. Jack, you're a good lawyer. And here's where Keaton you comes afford in. a good one's more like it. Otherwise, you'll be in a civil brand three weeks before the public defender gets around to you. 
Hey, Jackie, do you know a guy named... Now, here's where a little of Keaton's physicality comes in. Like, just watching him move in the space of the set is great. I think we talked on the blow out episode where De Palma talked about Travolta being a dancer and how, you know, there's obviously no dancing in blowout, but that there is a form of it in the way actors move through the sets and the spaces that they're filming in and that it makes a difference even when they're not dancing. This is something true of Keaton, I think, all throughout this movie and many other movies that I love him in, certainly ones where he gets to play into his kind of jacked up over caffeinated persona like in The Paper, which is a real big favorite newspaper film of mine. But in this scene too, he just now walks behind the desk, he goes behind Jack and he's making coffee, which is just funny to me. I don't know, they have this coffee maker thing. It's so perfectly like a cop's office coffee setup. And he's wearing this white t-shirt tucked into khaki pants with a belt. You know, he's always wearing his shades on a croaky around his neck and his ID and his physicality as he talks to Jackie intermingled with his his syntax is what makes Keaton so great. Okay. Otherwise, you'll be in civil brand three weeks before the public defender gets around to you. Hey, Jackie, do you know a guy named Beaumont Langston? Yeah? No? Because he knows you. Well, he knew you. He didn't know anybody now. He's dead. They found him in the trunk of a car this morning. Shot. Twice. Once in the chest. Once in the head. There you go. So I guess I'm wondering, if you don't know Beaumont, why do you suppose Beaumont knows you? <clears throat> Look, Miss Brown, we don't give a fuck about you. You know who we want. If you cooperate, you tell us what we want to know, we'll help you get out of this. And if you refuse to cooperate and you continue to cop a shit attitude like you're doing now, we will give you to customs and they will take you to court. And with your prior, the judge will give you two years. Now, you'll probably only end up serving a year and some change, but if I was a 44-year-old black woman desperately clinging on to this one shitty little job that I was fortunate enough to get, I don't think that I'd think I had a year to throw away. So let's start again now, shall we? Who in Mexico gave you this money? And who in America were you bringing it to? I'm not saying another goddamn word. <clears throat> and with that, she completely deflates the Dargis con, because that's what he's right to put on her. And I think this is great writing in this, you know, from Elmore Leonard and adapted by Quentin Tarantino. So one of the things I think makes the movie really special is you know, it takes on the race relations aspect of this stuff in a way, head on. And Pam Greer is so cool in this movie because one of the things to watch for when you watch it, I think she looks so different in so many different settings in the film. Unlike almost any other actor in the film, she can look a certain way when her hair is fixed a certain way, her makeup is done a certain way. The way she is here where she's wearing her her flight attendant uniform and she's styled herself for her flight attendant business, she's got a very specific look. It's a very different look when she gets out of jail uh, or when she's at home with Max in her overalls and her T-shirt or when she's being a fierce bitch standing up 
to Ordell, who came to kill her, which I want, I want to play that even though it's not a, a, a Keaton scene later. But her physicality changes so much. And what's great about her in this scene is just through listening to Dargis put this screw to her as he does. And then the moment where she's like, I ain't saying another goddamn thing. He's out of moves. I'd like your uh, permission to look through this again so we'll know exactly how much we're talking about here. Sure, go ahead. And now she has the power in the scene. It's shifted. She has a confident kind of cocky smile. She's making eye contact with him. He's shifting his eye contact off of her. She's in control. She's called their bluff, even though we will come to see. She knows the truth of what he's saying. And he did, his arrow reached its target. Now, again, well, right, let's see what else while Dargis is talking here, Mine? there's great Keaton physical stuff because he's going through the envelope of cash while Jackie goes through her travel bag. And it's just, I I think if you're a Keaton fan, you love watching him do stuff like counting money. Uh, I don't know. It's like, does he just do it on the set and it's funny or it contains a humorous element or is he aware of putting a humorous element in his looks and the way his eyes move and the way reactions to things as he finds the drugs in the bag. You know, how does that happen? By the way, I don't know if I mentioned this, but this song. That's Pam Greer. That's a single that she recorded. Uh, So, you know, that's, that's kind of our introduction to, to Nicolette and his pauses, his breaths are all part of this. The tucked in shirt, making her coffee, his facial indicating. I, I think it's all great. There's a quick little scene after this where she appears in court. And now Keaton and Dargis are in court. They're in suits. And this scene is really about them applying the leverage they know they do have on Jackie, which is she's going to probably spend six weeks in jail, which is going to screw up her job because their presumption is that no one's going to bail her out. That's kind of the plot line. And when they get up from the uh, courtroom scene, when they leave the court, there's a great little camera movement from Tarantino that reveals Ordell Robbie sitting in the back, the very guy they're trying to get. And it's pretty good. Now, let's see. I wanted to play this scene uh, just because, again, I'm, I know this is an episode about the Michael Keaton things, but there's so many funny lines that I missed. So when Ordell shows up at her apartment to kill her as a result of the fact that he knows that Keaton and Dargis have have uh, have arrested her and are applying leverage. You want to see some motherfucking silly? If I have to tell you to shut up one more time, I'm going to shut you up. Now, that's what I was talking about before. over here to talk to you. To talk? The way I see it, you and me got one motherfucking thing to talk about. One thing. And that's what you are willing to do for me. Now, what's great about her here is what I said before. She looks totally different. Completely different than you saw her in the previous scene. 
and she is now in control and has taken charge over Ordell. Like, you could look at uh, Jackie Brown through the lens of an overturning of the toxic masculinity that both Elmore Leonard and Quentin Tarantino tend to make fun of a lot in their films. You know, uh, as outsiders themselves, I think. They are sort of curious about the alpha, and they also recognize that the alphas are probably the more flawed and damaged people, and the alphaness is often a cover. But I just love her line reading here, and I didn't get to mention it in the episode, so I want to mention it here. Listen to what she says when she <laughs> tells Ordell she knew he was coming to kill her. I get your lawyer. Oh, no, l- let's be realistic. Now, sooner or later, they're going to get around to offering me a plea deal, and you know that. That's why you came here to kill me. <laughs> I ain't come over here oh, to no, kill you. Okay. It's okay. Now, I forgive you. I love that. It's okay. I forgive you. It's just business. She's got it. Okay. Now we transition to another great scene, which I referenced. Keaton's physicality again. This scene is Jackie is now going back to Dargis and Nicolette's office, and she wants to make a deal. And the scene starts Right on the dissolve, you have to look at, please stop it if you watch the film, because I'm looking at the frame right now. So we come off a dissolve off of uh, Jackie, and (laughs) Nicolette is walking down the hall, and he's carrying a motorcycle helmet, he's wearing a motorcycle jacket, he's also got the khakis and the white shirt and the, the shades and the ID lanyard and all that stuff. But as on the frame, if you stop it at 10018, on iTunes, if you're watching it there. He's scratching his ear and he has a really funny expression on his face. And then he just does this walk, this cock of the walk, walk, bobbing his head up and down the aisle. And- Hey, hey great, you're here. Yeah. Hey, Jackie, how you doing? Hi. Can I have a word outside with Ray for a minute? Oh, sure, take your right. time. Um, Thanks, a few minutes. Okay, may I smoke? Absolutely. You know, here's the brilliant sort of use of the screenplay to indicate previously he used the smoking to bust her balls. I didn't hear you ask if you could smoke in my office. May I smoke? No, you may not. Now it's like, may I smoke? Absolutely. Because they now are over enthusiastic about what they think Jackie's going to deliver for them. And this is another scene coming up where Keaton gets to use this dual overconfidence undercut by the silliness of the Nicolette character, which he's not overplaying on either of those fronts. She wants to make a deal. Oh, yeah? She's not scared. She almost sounds scared. What's she want? She wants to go back to work. Oh, yeah? So what's she going to give us? She hasn't gone into specifics yet. She's been waiting for you to get here. Ah, she knows it's my case, right? Well, she hasn't said it, but she's not stupid. She She knows it's you who wants her. Let's go. Sorry to keep you waiting. Now, what can we do for you? I need permission to leave the country so I can keep my job. Huh. We can look into that. I need it tomorrow. If I don't show up for work tomorrow, I'm fired. Well, you know what we want. If I'm working, I can help you. Help us do what, Jackie? Help you get Odell Roby. So now you do know him. You never asked if I did or not. Tell us now that you do know him. That's such a great moment, too. Because, again, here, Jackie Brown has all the power, although she's allowing them to believe they are still in a powerful position. And 
the way that's indicated in the screenplay is Keaton turns to her and he's like, oh, so now you do know him. But of course, if you listen to that scene we just played before, they never asked her about Odell Odell Roby. And she's right. She points that out. You know, it's a neat little bit of that kind of gotcha stuff that when people do it to you, it's so annoying in real life when they remember something more clearly than you remember. And they're like, no, 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 you said, I mean, my 12-year-old daughter does this to me all the time. You said, like some obscure thing I said six weeks ago. But when she says that to Keaton right here. Help us do. I need it tomorrow. If I don't show up for work tomorrow, I'm fired. Well, you know what we want. If I'm working, I can help you. Help us do what, Jackie? Help you get Odell Roby. So now you do know him. You never asked if I did or not. You're telling us now that you do know him. Of course I do. But like Keaton, the way he absorbs that line and that information, he, there's like a little wince in his eyes. It's brilliant. What do you have money for? Oh, shit. You know how he makes his money? He sells guns. You ever see him sell a gun? No. How do you know he sells guns? He told me. Besides, why else would an ATF man be after him? And then Dargis laughs here. Well, how can you help us? Well, I'll do anything I can. I hope you get his ass. Short of wearing a wire. And in return for my help, I need permission to leave the country on immunity. You don't want much, do you? Can you do it or not? It's just, it's so cool. The crackling little leather, you know. <laughs> I wanted to read a little bit because there's a great uh, piece in Collider that uh, a guy named Jacob Slankard wrote. I thought he really nailed this character with this paragraph from Collider. He says, quote, Nicolette is a live wire humming with energy that he's always trying to offset with his Steve McQueen demeanor, confidently strutting in his black leather jacket that is always creaking and crinkling with each little movement. It's like he's trying too hard to be a cool, competent agent, and his inner phoniness can't help but peek out. There are implications in multiple dialogue exchanges that his morals are secretly not in line with his job as a drug enforcement officer, that he would run away with the money if it weren't for his allegiance to his job. With that in mind, Keaton creates a character who's conditioned to overcompensate for who he truly is deep down, and it makes every action he takes feel performative. Spot on. I should have just read, I should just hit record, read that, and then stopped recording, because that absolutely nails it, 100%. Now, the next scene is when they are back with Jackie uh, in the airport parking lot and they're going to uh, do the dry run, right? The test. And this is just more funny stuff counterposing Jackie's sort of calm, cool mastery over the situation because Pam Greer as an actor has to play Jackie Brown, the confused trapped stewardess, 44-year-old black woman out of options who believes that her pathway to freedom lies through cooperating with these agents. But she also has to play the Jackie Brown we know as viewers, which is the mastermind. She's the mastermind of the whole movie. She's the one who is playing a con on both Ordell 
and the agents, and maybe even Max Cherry, her romantic will-they-won't-they love interest. And in this scene, she gets to do all of that. And they join her as she walks down into the frame, and Nicolette is doing that thing, and his gum-chewing cockiness. Fine. Bet you happy to be working again. Yeah. It's ATF agent Ray Nicolette, Jackie Brown, Ordell, Robbie, money exchange trial run. Time is 3.07, July 1st, 1995. Location is parking structure LAX, row F, parking structure D. What are you doing? Recording all this. I thought you were going to let this one go through. We are, don't worry about it. Everybody that's because in my report, the subject is carrying a flight bag. I am now removing from the flight bag a manila envelope. <coughs> the envelope contains currency. All the same denomination? Mm-hmm. $100 bills. Okay, I'm not counting it. Here's another little bit of Keaton business where he counts cash. It's just a... I think it's great. You wouldn't He's say... You're going to follow her? His face changes as he's counting the money. You're not going to stop her. Which he doesn't okay. really do, by the way. The total amount of cash in the middle of There's a little funny bit of business here with the bag. $10,000, right? Subject will be delivering. There's more key indication coming here. <laughs> Delamo Fashion Center bag. Delamo Fashion Center bag. The bag is uh, purple. White. Huh? White. It's white. Fine, the bag's white. The image is purple. purple. Lettering's pink. Okay, the bag's white, it's got purple on it, and the lettering's pink. Right. With a really good-looking woman on the cover. Now, what's so cool about that little sequence there is the comic timing between them correcting him on the color of the bag and his exasperated expressions looking around is is so great. It's It's, again, that kind of hilarious, active listening. And, you know, him and Dargis think they're all in this kind of fun caper together with the small talk and the silliness of Nicolette and the recording. He's wearing a little black microphone, like on a white T-shirt. You know, it's not like he's wearing a hidden microphone, uh, which, again, there's going to be some interesting and funny parallels to that part of the character when we talk about him in Out of Sight. And... The next shot is the is when they observe Jackie doing the transfer. And again, he's in the mall and he's got the shades and the mic and all that kind of stuff. And then there's a, a flashback conversation, uh, which is cool. It's like, I didn't really realize this the first time I saw the movie that there's this cool, like, fa- uh, Fosse time moment where when she's talking to... Um, Max Cherry, there's like a flashback to um, a conversation with Nicolette, which takes place in this restaurant, which is again, for Keaton fanatics like myself, there's such a hilarious aspect to Keaton sitting at a table eating, and he puts A1 sauce on these individual bites of steak with such care that when you watch this scene again, it's so hilarious. Hey, if I wasn't so buddy-buddy with that motherfucker, this wouldn't work. Burdell has a guy working for him named Lewis. 
And again, they're eating like <laughs> this fern bar with like a brass railing and green velvet drapes and a banquette and this music playing. And they're having like, you know, steak with a dinner roll and baked potatoes. You two meet? Yeah, this afternoon before I came here. It was at Odell's apartment in Hermosa Beach. Yeah. I don't know if he lives there, but I can find out. You talk to him? Not really. His full name is Louis Carr. Just did four years up in Susanville. For what? Bank robber. We've been following him. He definitely works for Odell. Here he goes for the A1 we did two years together about, I don't know, 20 years ago or so. Or Huntsville. Now, what's cool about this scene is Jackie knows all this. She already met Louis Guerra. She's pretending she doesn't know who he is. She's pretending she never heard of Simone. And this is part of the greatness of Pam Greer's performance is she gets to play two things in this scene. He's not living on Hermosa Beach, though. Ardell's down staying down in Compton. I'm living with some 56-year-old petty thief, some woman named uh, Hawkins, Simone Hawkins. And I mean, look, it's hard for an actor to do this sort of expository stuff. He's got to get all this information through. But the way he makes it interesting is through the eating and the chewing and using that to pause while he's searching for the name. You know her? No. They were talking about her? Not yet. Okay. Who's the other one? Some white chick named Melanie, another girlfriend of Ordell's. What's her deal? It was her cook I got busted with. Oh, yeah? She knows everything. She's not a part of it, and she's pissed off that she's not a part of it. Well, there's definitely somebody I want to meet. Okay, we all set up for tomorrow? Everything okay? Everything's the same except for one change. I told him Ordell's changing the amount he's bringing in. Think they bought it? Mm. Oh, yeah, I got him thinking that Ordell's real nervous, and they love thinking that he's scared of him. And this is yet another look that Pam Greer deploys for Jackie Brown, where she's in overalls, a T-shirt, she's drinking a glass of white wine in her living room with Max Cherry. And she's setting up the fact that she's playing Ray Nicolette, and he doesn't realize, Ray Nicolette doesn't realize it. And she's, she's t- setting Nicolette up with the tidbit that Ordell is afraid, he's frightened. She knows that's what's going to get him going. No, a good cop will never let you know that he knows you're full of shit. All he needed was a reasonable explanation. Right, everything's the same except for one change. What's up? Adele feels way too hot for him to bring in his money. And he knows you're watching him and he's fucking paranoid. So he's sweating a little bit. He's going to keep his half meal where it is, but he's... Again, more A1 sauce business. I love it. I can't get enough of it. Acting. I'm bringing 50000 just in case he needs bail. It'll be more than that. So that is just a great little dinner scene. Now, what's cool about this scene, I've got to find it again because well, I didn't save it in my notes, but there's a cool deleted scene in the, um, in the DVD, on the iTunes, um, where they do a little improv and it's, it's kind of cool. Um, it's it's the same scene you just saw, but they go into a kind of an interesting little improv bit. So I'm going to show you this thing here, and you'll see where they kind of go off the reservation and uh, kind of crack up. Adele has a guy working for him named Lewis. You two meet? Yeah, this afternoon before I came here. It was at Odell's apartment in Hermosa Beach. Yeah. 
I don't know if he lives there, but I can find out. Did you talk to him? Not really. His full name is Louis Carr. Just did four years up in Susanville. For what? Bank robber. We've been following him. He definitely works for Adele. I wonder where, uh, wonder where that garçon is. Garçon means boy. Yeah. Anything else I can get you this can you evening? Can you get me a fresh one of those? I think we're out there. Sure. Thanks. Thanks. So what's Madame mean? What's the difference between Madame and Madame? Well, one's married and one's not. Is that right? And one's hotter and the other one's not so hot. So who hits the whorehouse? Who hits the whorehouse? No, who's the head of the whorehouse? The Madame. Oh, the, the Madame. Madame. Madame and Madame and Mademoiselle. It's all mm. different. One's French and one's a hoe. What's Madame? <laughs> <laughs> so she cracked them up there with the one's French and one's a hoe bit. And he kind of broke and you can hear Tarantino laughing uh, off in the background. As always, I love deleted scenes because it shows you what could have been. And and I, I mentioned uh, at the top of the Jackie Brown episode that I thought it didn't contain any false notes or any false scenes. And I think one of the weird things about watching deleted scenes, as I've mentioned on the pod before, is it almost makes me retroactively nervous that they might make it into the movie and then ruin this perfect film because they don't work. I wonder, I guess if you're watching the cut down, it's apparent that it's just not quite of a piece with the other stuff and it makes sense to take it out if you're looking at it with the right kinds of eyes. So that's the transfer one, uh, the dinner scene. And then you have the, uh, kind of Keaton's most close-up bit of acting, which is in the car with Jackie. Uh, and this is kind of the intimation that's a little bit more spelled out in the book that he may be open to taking some of this money if the situation were. Okay, the envelope contains $50,000. I've counted it, and I'm now marking the bills in the upper left-hand corner and the second zero with a green felt-tip pen. Even this is just good business, marking it with a green felt-tip pen. Have I love it. Have you been it. tempted? And he's got a great little smile here. What? Put one of these in my pocket? Mm-hmm. If I did, I'd have to give one to you, wouldn't I? <laughs> of course, nobody knows how much there is. Guess we could take as much as we want. Isn't that right? Yes, all those things are true. I mean, it's not like the money belongs to anybody. That would be one point of view. Yeah. Except it's not a point of view shared by the ATF. Once we make this evidence, it belongs to us. You're officially out of trouble now. Don't go doing something stupid. How can I do anything stupid when I'm being watched every second? You know, I'm glad you pointed that out, because it saves me the trouble of pointing it out to you. Now, look, here's the deal. I want you to take all this cash, and I want you to put it in this Billingsley shopping bag, and that is exactly what I expect to see when I look inside Sharonda's Billingsley shopping bag. Comprende? Si, comprende. Cool. Now, what's great about this scene is a couple of things. One, it's a reminder how small the stakes really are here. Bring it in 10 grand, 50 grand, whatever. Like Ray Nicolette is acting like he's taking down the Medellin cartel. He's just trying to nab Ordell Roby, who's like this low level kind of fake ass gun runner who Melanie, Bridget Fonda's character, correctly diagnoses is just completely kind of full of it. 
Now, what's great about this scene is I think Jackie's running the con here so effectively by raising the topic of taking the money and playing it very neutral so that she can't be accused of essentially pitching him on the idea of stealing the money and splitting it. But she plays it so smartly that if he were to turn the conversation in that direction, it would be interesting to speculate what would happen to Jackie's plan then. But in a way, she knows enough about him to know he's not going to do that. And the benefit of that is in pitching him and knowing he's going to turn it down and turn stern, it's not the opinion of the U.S. government, it perfectly cements the con that she's really running on him, which she doesn't know about. Like, she allows herself to be put in her place by this overconfident white man who's telling her, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because it saves me the trouble of doing it for you. It's a great aspect of the film, and it works because Keaton is likable. Like, you kind of like him the way that you like everyone in a Elmore Leonard book. Even the bad guys have style. And even Ray Nicolette has style, and it's silly style, but it's style. I mean, this is his big scene. He's got a lot of close-ups. He gets to do a lot of very subtle acting uh, and facial kind of gestures. And then the final scene for Ray Nicolette in Jackie Brown is this big interrogation scene after Jackie has... Uh, staged the quote-unquote robbery so effectively. And now she's got one final thing. She's got to make it through this inter... Excuse me, this interrogation. And just he enters the room before you see his face. <laughs> but the Ray Nicolette character is so defined that just seeing a torso with khakis and sunglasses and a lanyard and a, a white T-shirt and, and a aggrieved hand gesture lets you know who it is. You didn't tell me you were going shopping. I thought I did. Yeah, you didn't. You know, if it's me, I got all that shit hanging over my head like you got hanging over yours. I don't know. I'd go shopping later. I got there early. What's so cool is all the hand gestures that he does, the gesticulating. Wait, 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 just wait a minute. Just wait a fucking second, all right? Let me finish. I got there early. The idea was to try on the suit, see if I liked it. If I did, they would wrap it up, then I would put back on my uniform because Sharonda is expecting me to wear it, meet Sharonda, give her the shopping bag with the $50,000, and go home. Yeah, but you didn't do that. Because I couldn't. Ray, I swear, Melanie burst in, she grabbed the bag. And then somebody fucking killed her for it. This is great. He grabs his crotch when he stands up and he's so exasperated because he kind of knows something has occurred here, but he can't quite figure it out. He's not smart enough to figure it out. That's what's great about the performance. The bag she gave you. She didn't give me a bag. <sighs> Melanie was not a part of the plan. Adele probably told her to do it. That's why she came into the dressing room, grabbed the bag, took off, but I couldn't go after it because I was in my fucking underwear. I had to put on this suit because I could put it on faster than my uniform. You had time to pay the sales check? I had to. I was frantic. What was I supposed to do? He's just doing... He's doing actor business, which in a lesser film, in a lesser actor's hands, is corny. 
he's about, he's trying to think of something to say. And he's indicating, I'm trying to think of something to say. But it works because it's Keaton. You're on his side. You feel his exasperation is the point of the scene because this is Jackie's biggest hurdle. She's got to put on a convincing performance here. And she's doing it fascinatingly through fierceness, which is so smart, right? Like actually not guilty people get pissed off over accusations of things they didn't do. And she does that part really, really well. All right, what you do after that? I went looking for you. And I went back to the place in the mall where you were before, but you weren't there. What was I supposed to do if something happens? You didn't tell me how to do that, did you? There's a guy with Melanie. There was nobody in the fitting room. And these two shots here are kind of what this whole scene is about. She's got to hold this visage of aggrieved truth-telling. And again, he's always kind of 60% aware that something isn't right, but he's just not clever enough to figure it out. And he's just so frustrated. You have no idea $50,000. You're clueless about the money, right? You have no idea what the 50 grand is. I have no idea. None. You None. Have no idea. You no. don't know. It could have gone here. Could no, have gone I don't, here. Don't know. I don't know nothing. Not a clue. Not I don't idea. have an idea not, where the motherfucking money is. Not even a little idea, not maybe. Even, not even a little tiny motherfucking idea. Just a polygraph on it. Yeah, if a motherfucker make you happy. Yeah, put it right there. I'll do it. You didn't do anything stupid, Jackie. I gotta talk to you for a second. These two looking at each other in this moment, you know, isn't played for the comedy of the previous moments. It's it's for real. And Jackie is almost crying and only kind of lets her guard down when he leaves the room. But even then, not really. She's still playing the part. And this is basically the moment where she gets away with it. Louis Carr is dead. LAPD found her shot in the car at night. And we lost Rudell. I thought you were fucking watching him. We were. And we lost him. He walked into a strip bar sometime around 3.30 and never came out. Bar was on 9th, but less than a mile and a half from where they found Lewis dead. Looks like Lewis's buddy shot him twice, point blank range. So what's going to happen now? We'll pick up Ordell. We've got three murders we can link him to, and we got you. What about me? What about you? <laughs> you think I took some of that money? Hey, I have no evidence of you doing anything. You didn't pay for that snazzy new suit with Mark Bill, but everybody didn't see that. You've been helping us out. You gave us Melanie. You gave us Lewis. Melanie was found with a packet of Mark Bills stuffed in her shorts. That goes a long way of backing up your story. The gum chewing and the physicality here is so perfect when you watch it. It's just, <laughs> this is him buying her story hook, line, and sinker. I'll settle for a deal with Mark Bills. But there's still this little bit of him that knows. But if there's anything else you haven't told me about, you know what? That's between you and Ardell. I've got one thing to say. 
Better hope we find him before he finds you. No, no, man. I mean, it's so good. And the the capper is uh, on the scene after they lure Ordell to Max's office. You know, Jackie's final little bit of this play is Ray Ray, he's got a gun. Um, I don't, it's funny when you watch this scene, it's like, I guess he has to have a gun in his hand because if Ray shoots him and he doesn't have a gun in his hand, does Jackie say, I thought I saw a gun, but she's just eliminated the only person who can blow up her story? Not sure. Turns out he does have a gun in his hand. And after Ray shoots him in this moment of like tactical excellence, which I think they also allow the character to have, he approaches and he kicks away the gun that Ordell is holding. God damn, girl. What you doing sitting up in here in the dark? Ray's got a gun! That's such a well-edited scene. And this is, again, this is real. The way this is framed and shot. You know, he checks Ordell's pulse and Jackie's just... You know, you just cost someone his life in order to get away with the money. Do you have the Mark Bills on? And this is where Pam Greer is so good and should have been nominated for and won an Academy Award. All of these things that we're talking about are so complicated for actors, and there are multiple things going on with her in every single scene after the first scenes of the film. And to not be rewarded for that in that lily-white category that I posted on Instagram, you can take a look. Look for the photo of Pam Greer. Just read who the nominees were that year. It's ridiculous. Talk about Oscars so white. And talk about a bunch of performances that you just don't even remember, let alone think are worthy of. <laughs> I mean, again, the whole thing is stupid. But anyway, this last scene for Ray. You got to have. Uh, there's a great moment where it's real for all of them. Why'd you give him $10,000? It's most real for Jackie. Brought it to him so he wouldn't have to come here. But she puts this little cherry on the top. How'd you know where he was? When she him. gets out from behind the desk and approaches mm-hmm. That's my job. Uh, Ray, who is counting the stacks I of cash, this is the moment here. And the way Ray. it's filmed from below. Remember when you said you hope you get him before he gets me? Mm-hmm. You did. Thanks. And that way she says, thanks. Doesn't that give it away? Because he sort of seems to register it in an interesting way physically when you look at it. She's not like overwhelmed, like, thank you so much. She's like, thanks. Matter of factly, the bow that has been tied on the caper is that he shot Ordell. (laughs) And then the cutaway is to Ordell lying on the ground with this shocked look on his face. And it's the look of him understanding that he has been played by Jackie Brown the entire time. He understood that in his final moments of life. Ray Nicolette seems to be glimpsing it a bit because of the way she says thanks. And those are the amazing moments in Jackie Brown. Now, how did Ray Nicolette come to be in Out of Sight? Well, 
The idea came because Soderbergh, Steven Soderbergh, who's the director of Out of Sight, which we've done on the podcast. It's a great film, one of my favorites. Um, he mentions that since uh, Out of Sight is based on another Elmore Ren- Leonard novel that the Ray Nicolette character is in, he had the idea to use the character and use Keaton to play the character in his film. So he approached Tarantino, who was actually still editing Jackie Brown. And Tarantino said, sure, why don't you come by and I'll show you all of Keaton's footage as Ray Nicolette, which he did. And Soderbergh called Keaton and said, I have this kind of crazy idea. I'm making another Elmore Leonard adaptation. And I would like you to reprise the character in my film. And of course, if you know anything about Keaton, he loves this idea immediately. Remember how in the Jackie Brown episode, we talked about Tarantino saying that Keaton's whole thing was to sort of tell Tarantino how wrong he was for the part. And, you know, you don't want to hire me. And that was kind of part of his angst ridden process to accepting the role. But now that he has been Ray Nicolette and Soderbergh is pitching him this weird meta thing, well, you get the sense this is what Keaton really likes. And here's what Keaton had to say about it. He said that he loved the idea because, quote, nobody had ever done it then, and that was what appealed to me when Soderbergh called. I wanted it to be like you might be in a Starbucks and see Ray Ray Nicolette and not think anything of it, end quote, which I love. He also said in an interview with Entertainment Weekly, quote, the notion that a character shows up again in a whole other movie, that's the fun of this stuff for me, end quote. So he created a little cinematic universe. I love the idea. I hope that Keaton did dress up as Ray Nicolette and just go stand in a Starbucks in like 98, 99, or might even do it now. I mean, that would be brilliant. So once that's agreed, and I think I talked about this in the Out of Sight episode, he did the scene for free. <laughs> he, he just showed up and did the scene. Uh, it wasn't like, you know, oh, let's talk to all the lawyers and the agents and all this kind of stuff. He just did the scene. And it's only one scene in Out of Sight, which is why it was sort of easy to do this uh, in this setting. Now, there's two scenes. This is important because the first scene he's discussed between the Jennifer Lopez character and her father over him giving her a present. And you learn important information about Ray Nicolette. Of course, this is the great Dennis Farina. Go ahead, open. Oh, my God. It's beautiful. It's a... um, Six-hour 380. Right. You know, a dad giving his daughter... Love it. ...an expensive handgun. Thanks, Dad. (laughs) How about some more coffee? Yeah, I can't. I have to go out to Glades, and then I'm uh, meeting Ray Nicolette at 10. Which one is that? The ATF guy? Actually, he's with the FBI now. He switched over. He's still married, though. Technically. They're separated. Oh, so he's moved out, then? He's about to. Well, then they're not separated, really. Yeah, can we not talk about this? What are you doing at Glades? Uh Okay, so, so many things there that are interesting. In, In a hand, we just explained the switch from the ATF to the FBI, which is a switch that's, you know, necessary because of the 
construct of out of sight and the pursuit of bank robbers and escaped prisoners and all this stuff. We've also established that Ray Nicolette is married and essentially cheating on his wife and is in a convoluted situation where they're not really separated. He still lives with his wife, but he's having an affair with the Jennifer Lopez character. Now, this is all kind of confirmation of the stuff that I was talking about, the character being more spelled out in the books that we didn't really get to do in Jackie Brown. And in a way, it feels right somehow that we don't learn that until now. I think as a fan of this little two-film cinematic universe, I love that there are story beats about Ray Nicolette that we only learn in the second film. You know, it's not all spelled out in the first one. And his great... <laughs> His great scene, which is one of the funniest scenes in a film filled with very, very funny scenes, is when he visits uh, the home of, uh, of, of, of Jennifer Lopez's father in the film. And everything about his physicality here is so well done because he enters while they're Karen? talking. Mm. And the dad this kind of gets Foley. an understanding that she has a crush on Foley, the bank robber, played by George Clooney. Doesn't even look like that. Oh, no? Mm -mm. He looks a lot like... <laughs> Different. He looks a lot like Dennis Franz. I mean, Dennis Farina. Here comes Nicolette. He's Why wearing a white T-shirt that says FBI oh, on it and his black leather jacket and his shades and his jeans. And his physicality is everything. He's got the motorcycle helmet, Good. of course. Still there? Yeah. Did your dad take good care of you? Uh, he took a week off to take care of me, and he's worked on his boat every day since. Yeah, this is Ray Nicolette. Hey, hi. Hi. Pleasure to meet you. I heard a lot about you. Likewise. Ray's working with the FBI task force on the prison break. I see that. Tell me, Ray, do you ever wear one that says undercover? No. How's it going? I think what's great about this moment is Dennis Freena is fucking with Ray Nicolette because Ray Nicolette is wearing a ridiculous t-shirt that says FBI on it. And when he fucks with him, Ray doesn't quite get it. He just has this stone-faced look, but he does get it after the fact. And then he's kind of eye-fucking Dennis Farina here with this cocky look on his face, like, oh, you're giving me shit. And there's like a thing going on between the two of them that's extraneous to the conversation they're ostensibly having, which is great. Okay. <laughs> Good. Good, we cut one of them. Was it Foley? Was it off a tip? Yeah, somebody spotted two of them out in this hobo camp near the airport, you know, called in a number. I knew it as soon as I saw there was a reward. Maybe was it Foley? No. Lenari's one of the Cubans. I mean, in there, you know, full SWAT, two choppers, is that whole deal? This is awesome. Full SWAT, two choppers. He's got these like almost De Niro-like facial gestures that are hilarious, that are about the ridiculousness of the Nicolette character. But again, because it's Keaton, it's endearing. I knew it as soon as I saw there was a reward. Maybe was it Foley? No. Ah, Lenari's one of the Cubans. I mean, in there, you know, full SWAT, two choppers, is that whole deal? Lenardi goes, let's start shooting. So we took him out. I don't know how Chirino got away, but he did. And Foley hadn't been there? No, this place was strictly Cuban. You know, Foley had a ride. He must have his own agenda. You know what I mean? He seems to be the only guy who kind of knows what he's doing. Uh-huh. Excuse me. Of course, this is the agenda. The agenda is the Jennifer Lopez character. Yeah. And Foley's about to call her on the Hello? telephone. 
And oh, yeah, she is. Just a minute, please. This sets up its brilliant mm-hmm. moment between Karen. Dennis Farina and Keaton, where she takes Hello. a call from Foley Hi. in front of her father. You know who this and is? Nicolette. Yes. Great acting by J-Lo in Out of Sight, by the way. Probably her best film performance, I would say. And this is great. This tete-a-tete. So, Ray. Yeah, there's something I'm wondering. The headline reads, I slept with a murderer. It says, shaken Miami woman. Was it the answer to the phone? None of your business. Just worried maybe I'm not... And <laughs> this is, again, this sort of toxic macho mano a mano battle between the father and the boyfriend he doesn't approve of because he's married and these two are great together the chemistry between keaton and farina is great and it's again such so nicolette because he's she fixes him pork chops and rice the next thing you know, they're making love on the sofa. She says he was very gentle. This guy, Chirino, shows up at the house, says he misses a little girl. She feels sorry for him. Next thing you know, boom, you know, on the couch. And that's how you score now, huh? I guess. Well, there's something and I've he's been eating. Wondering. You know, he's he's got a pocket knife out, and he's cutting up like an apple. He's going to tell you where um, and of course, the father is setting up this whole thing about women following inappropriate men. And by the way, you can see that Clooney shaved back his hairline in order to look a little older, by the way, in these scenes. It's one of the only few scenes where you can really kind of notice it. It's kind of funny. But you got to look at the way Keaton is eating again. He's using the eating. Remember how like Brad Pitt eats all the way through the Oceans films? It's such a great little actor tick moment. Is that Buddy? And this little battle between the two guys now, which plays out, is so good. So she's a married woman. But she goes to bed with a prison escapee because he tells her that he misses his little girl. She tells the world about it. But you protect her. You don't reveal her name. Well, that makes it sound like what she was doing was okay as long as her husband doesn't find out about it. Like the guy who cheats on his wife saying what she doesn't know won't bother her. Dad. What? This is so good. Right. Keaton's laughing realization of what just transpired, that this guy just completely called him out on the carpet. And Farina laughing, but maintaining rock-solid eye contact and not letting him off the hook is so good. I want to show you something in the living room. Yeah. Good talking to you, Ray. Yeah, you too. law enforcement agents raided a squad and what's brilliant is this is almost my favorite nicolette scene in the hopes of it's just this fake news package of the raid and of course he's wearing tactical gear and running in the woods chasing down these sad little people and he's like he's just like looking cockily at the camera it's so it's so perfectly pitched like so many other things in the film and that's it he doesn't appear again uh he's gone from the brief little cinematic universe that was created. That's my little love letter to the Ray Nicolette scenes. I'd love more Ray Nicolette. He lives. We could revisit this cinematic universe. If you're out there listening, Michael Keaton Douglas, how about a Ray Nicolette film? 
That would be great. Where's Ray Nicolette now? Where have these exploits taken him? Has his life fallen apart? And is he now struggling to put the pieces back together? That's what I'd love to see. I'd love to see post-cocky Ray Nicolette. That would be a real use of Keaton's aged nature some 20 years later, right? That would be really compelling. So maybe we can see that. Anyway, that's a conclusion for this week's episode of the Full Cast and Crew Podcast. I wanted to pay special homage to the brilliant Michael Keaton. Check out some of his other films. Check out The Paper. Check out Spotlight. And check out next week's episode of the Full Cast and Crew Podcast. Thank you as ever for listening. I appreciate all your support. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.